Aw, oh, cripes. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. Hey everyone, we've got a special episode of the Cripes Cast this week where I'm talking to some of our hardest working farmers in America's Dairyland. Now, as many of you know, um, our farmers have had a tough couple of years between tariffs and COVID. Uh, so I was actually, I was inspired by my conversation a few weeks back with the fabulous farm babe, Pam Yonke, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to speak with more farmers and, and try and help, you know, bridge that gap between where our food comes from, uh, mostly our farmers, and then where the food ends up, which would be us. So uh, today my guests are Jeff Ditzenberger, who grew up on a dairy farm and now he's switched to mostly crops. But uh, just as important, he has started a group called TUGS, which stands for Talking, Understanding, Growing, Supporting, to help people get through mental health issues. Um, very, very cool thing he is doing. So we're starting with Jeff in Greene County, uh, but then we're going up to Waterloo and uh, we're speaking with Carrie and Patrick Mess. Uh, you may know Carrie as Dairy Carrie. She's a big blogger in the dairy community. And then after that, we went to Detman Dairy Farms and talked with Mike and Sue Detman. Uh, now we did physically go to these farms and in order to socially distance, I came up with the brilliant idea of getting a big cardboard cutout uh, of a cow. So we would, you know, you've seen those signs, stay a, stay a cow's length apart. So we stayed a cow's length apart, ladies and gentlemen, the whole gosh darn time. So anyway, we started off in Greene County with Jeff Ditzenberger. Jeff, thanks so much for letting us come to your uh, farm. This is uh, very <laughs> kind of you to uh, invite. I'm glad we could do it socially distanced uh, with this cow between us uh, that we purchased off the internet. Why don't you tell me, uh, where were you uh, born? Uh, actually, Long Beach, California. Long uh, Beach. How'd yep. you... My dad was in the service. Uh, they're originally from Illinois, and then Grandpa bought a farm in 1972 up here in Wisconsin. Uh, but I was actually, when my dad was still in the service, um, I was born out in Long Beach, California. And so when did you uh, come to Wisconsin? Um, 72 or 73, I believe, is what it was. So okay. I was, I was, I was, it was like right towards the end of Dad's time in the navy anyways and, okay and then um we came back and and mom was only out there for a short period of time um you know with being in the navy or in military a lot of times you know there's a lot of travel and stuff so there was no sense in her being out there all the time but when she was pregnant with me and when i was born that's where i that's where i started out at so okay okay so uh, september 13th 1970 like a week ago i turned 50 isn't that cool uh happy birthday Thanks, that's brother. right you did yeah. tell me it was your birthday <laughs> yep. that's yep. why i brought half yep. this uh, well that's why i brought the glazers okay, okay. i wasn't cool. it, but cool. you told uh, me that, that's cool I'm well good. happy birthday Thanks. so uh you you came out here and then how old were you when you came to uh wisconsin it was like two you were two yeah, two years old so, or yeah. so okay cool so you come here and basically you were raised here and what what are your so your first memories of growing up what part of the state did you grow up so in? actually i've always lived in this area other than other than my military time so i grew up in south wayne wisconsin which is a town of about 400 people the dairy farm that i was raised on was about a mile from school so it was real close to school uh, and was there my entire um, entire school career and then after I graduated high school 
Um, I enlisted in the United States Navy and did uh, four years there. And ironically ended up back in Long Beach um, and not too far from the pier that my grandpa was stationed at and my dad was stationed at. So it's kind of kind of a cool circle of life thing that, that went on there. But base, and then um, after I got out of the service, I moved back here to Monroe and I've been here my entire life. I, I, I've been three quarters of the way around the world and honestly, I don't know any place I'd rather be than than right here in southern Wisconsin. Why is that? Why? Why? What makes Wisconsin so special to you? It's change of the season and the in in the way people are and in the farms that are around here and all the cheese factories. You know, I watched this morning when I was waiting to get pick up some of your cheese. I actually watched the cheesemakers through a big window making the cheese and and you know all the the industries that are around here and and uh, you know generally speaking, I mean people around our neck of the woods are just nice people. Like they, you, you can walk up to a complete stranger and give him a glazier donut and, mm-hmm. and and be in like Flynn, you know? So yeah. as I get older, I will tell you though, that the, the winters kind of start to get to me, you know, the cold and stuff, but yeah. I do actually own my own small one, one man, uh, snow, snow removal business. So that's how I, right. I keep busy in the winter time when we're not doing crops and stuff. And, uh, I really like that too, because there's a lot of older ladies that I do their, dri- their driveways and sidewalks and stuff for them. And, you know, they'll give me cash and then they'll, give me a coffee and then you know oh, take home these treats and that's what i mean i used to be like a lot thinner than what i am and i know the microphone makes me look fat but <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's the old ladies feeding us you know you know it's but it's those conversations that, that i feel like define wisconsin or the midwest more broadly it's uh you know and also you're doing something for them so they kind of do something for you but yep. y- you really get the talk of the town after that yep. i would imagine yeah i do and, and i also i also part-time for a part-time job i deliver water softener salt uh, for water softeners and that was kind of interesting you know after the COVID lockdown and then being able to uh, uh, go and start delivering again and being able to talk to you know a lot of the I deliver to a lot of elderly people mm-hmm. and with everything that's going on with COVID and and mental health and 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 that's in the distancing and, and stuff like that like you know there was a lot of really good quality conversations that came out of that where normally it's just like hey how you doing you know we put two bags in we're out of here and then it was you know all of a sudden you're having a 15 20 minute conversation with someone who hasn't really had anybody to talk to in in, in a month and and um, it kind of brings you back to that whole thing where you know in this area you know you just have a conversation about stuff that's often missing or difficult to find i would think in certain parts of you know rural wisconsin especially when some farmers are you know calling it quits they got to move away or sell the farm or whatever and that just makes it tougher on the whole community is that true it is true uh, you know farmers as a whole right off the bat charlie are, are, are so we you know we kind of joked at the beginning of the pandemic that that we're we've been social distancing for years you know we kind of stay in our farms and do our own things we talk to our neighbors and that's about it um but you know the real challenge came a couple years ago and you know milk prices were at all-time lows again and and more farmers were getting out and and i was having quite a few farmers uh um reaching out to me or farm families reaching out to me you know kind of at wit's end and and you know they 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 don't you know the if they're talking to their neighbors their neighbors are going through a lot of the same stuff that they're going through so there's no separation from that constant angst of what's going on um and then you have all the you know we're more social media savvy now so then there's kind of that you know that constant barrage of of stuff in the news and stuff on social media that just makes makes everything seem that much worse and like there's no light at the end of the tunnel other than you know walking away from it and and it's it's tradition like when when you think about farming a lot of the farmers that you talk to and i'm talking i don't care if it's a 10 cow dairy or if it's a a 10,000 cow dairy you know 90 98 percent of them are family owned still 
So it's still family. Like it might be five or six families that merge together, but there's a there's a there's a community and there's there's people there that depend on that. And you know, when a farmer goes out of business, you know, now the veterinarian has lost a customer, the feed salesman has lost a customer. I sold farm machinery for 22 years. I lost a customer. You know, there's more than just one person or two people on the farm that are losing, you know, losing their livelihood. There's a whole barrage of, of people that are losing it. And you know everybody suffers. And when when you look at agriculture from a from an from an economical standpoint, every dollar spent on agriculture in our county is turned over in the community nine times, mm. and that's huge. That is huge. So yeah. when you start, you know, when you when when we would go to town and 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 sell animals or or sell corn or beans or whatever, you know, we take that money and we go we go buy goods from Radio Shack, and then Radio Shack pays their employees, and they go out to eat at at Swiss House and then Swiss House pays their employees and they go and, and buy something at, at one of the local stores and stuff like that. Well, all of a sudden, you know, if we're not selling our corn, well then, you know, the feed plant's gotta be like, oh dude, we gotta lay somebody off because we don't have, you know, and then you start seeing that trickle down effect. Right, they're not spending that dollar that Correct. they just made Correct. and so forth. So now when did you first start farming? Like four and a half years old. Four I think and I half picked up old. my first calf bottle and, and uh, started helping dad dad feed calves and and uh i milked my first cow when i was six i believe um and it's uh, ever since i and i'll be honest i i I dairy farm for a long time i don't really miss it it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. um and even out here now we're we're strictly 800 acres of corn and beans and then we've got uh, alfalfa too but we we rent that to a neighbor Mm -hmm. uh she's got dairy cattle uh actually it's my ex-wife uh but (laughs) she's got dairy cattle and needed needed extra hay and we didn't want to mess with the hay anymore so um so yeah, I, I'm just a crop farmer now. I don't have any beef. I don't have any any uh, chickens or any any other animals anymore. Just strictly the crops. Gotcha. And when what inspired you to start Tugs? So I actually had my own suicide attempt in 1991, uh, 1992, uh, shortly after I got out of the service. Um, and I had a lot of things going on, PTSD and some other stuff, and trying to get some help. And there was there was no real help available. And I would talk to my guy friends at work and stuff, and and uh, be like, dude, like I just want to talk to somebody. And you know, it's con- the constant suck it up, Buttercup, or you know, men don't cry in front of other men, and all that kind of stuff. And and um, so I lit an old abandoned house on fire to uh, to end my life. And subsequently, uh, ended up at that time I was at I was a volunteer firefighter. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know if you want to call an out-of-body experience or what the deal was, but it, anyways, all of a sudden, I f- I'm like, why am I in this burning house? Uh, called the fire department, went to the scene with the fire department, um, and then the next day, uh, the detective on the case called me up and has, had me come in, and he's like, I think there's some things going on. You can either be arrested or you can go to the mental, ho- mental health ward. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll go to the mental health ward because I can actually get some help there, you mm-hmm. know? And never ever told anybody that I had tried to die that night because I thought that the the embarrassment from the charges of felony arson would be less embarrassing than admitting that I had mental problems, knowing with what every you know all the times that I tried to get help and couldn't get help. So then, and fast forward. Um, in 2014, I was at I had I'd been writing some blogs and and stuff for uh, our local newspaper and then Wisconsin Farm Bureau, and I wrote one on depression and men's men's mental health. And um, the the um, editor and communications guy at that time, Casey Langan, his wife uh, in her capacity 
asked me if I would speak at this guys night out for Madison Safe Communities. And I'm like, sure, like guys night out, like beer and pizza and football and all this other stuff. And it was weird because when I got up there, there was ladies there and I didn't understand why ladies would be at guys night out. But, mm -hmm. and then I had to change all my jokes because most of them about ladies. So no offense to the ladies out there. But anyways, I threw my speech away on the way up there and my best friend who was with me, he's like, wasn't that your speech? And I'm like, yeah, I said, I just, I don't feel it. Like it just, and I'm not a good speech writer. I'm one that I like to shoot from the hip. So I got up to, in front of a lot of guys and, and a few females. And I started talking a little bit about my Navy career. And so I was on the ship that I was on, Charlie was the second largest displacement ship next to an aircraft carrier. And we, so we supplied the entire fleet with food, ammunition, diesel fuel, and jet fuel. So we're huge. And, but for us to get that big ship back into port or where we, or home for, for common term, or if we had to go like down the locks and dams or these really short or these narrow, you know, waterways or treacherous waters, we'd call a tugboat. And the funny thing about a tugboat is you can't see them because they're so little, mm -hmm. but you can hear him and you see his little smokestack and his little toot toot coming along. And we would shut the ship down completely dead in the water, super quiet. And then you'd feel this little bump. And you could, you could like you could feel this sense of calm come over you, and that you know. Next thing you know, you feel another little bump, and then somebody comes across the intercom, and they say that you're safe in port. Start making preparations to unload, and like you go about your day. Or, and I, I'm I'm talking about this, and I have no idea where this came from, when when I when why I even got on the subject, but all of a sudden I'm like, and this is kind of like life. Like you can be the strongest, toughest, biggest ship out there. And every once in a while, you're gonna need you're gonna need a small you know, a small you know small ship to help you out. So on the way home, I said to Scott, my best friend, I said, "Dude, I said I want to start a nonprofit." And he's like, "Well, you already farm." <laughs> I was like, "I'm like, no, I like want to start a nonprofit that helps people, you know." And and uh, so I laid awake that whole night, and all of a sudden, it came to me: tugs, talking, understanding, growing, and supporting. Uh, even because even big ships need little ships sometime. And our core our core our core values charlie are we want to we want to try to get rid of the stigma of of mental health mm -hmm. we want to try to get rid of the stigma of of suicide we want to train people in how they can be just an average everyday ordinary person and become a hero to help someone through um, i teach qpr which is question persuade and refer it's basically like cpr for mental health and then the other thing that we do is when we do have meetings and stuff and in in our core in our core value the the biggest value is that like you could be at our meeting and you don't have to give your name or anything. You can sit in the back corner and you can eat your glazier donuts that we provide for you. And then, uh, you know, like some quick trip milk or whatever. And then um, hopefully while you're sitting there, you obviously, if you're there, you have a reason that you want to be there. So hopefully while you're sitting there, then Joe will be up front talking and you'll hear things that Joe say, says. And it's like, man, I went through like that, almost that same, that same exact thing. So then you go up and talk to Joe and you exchange phone numbers. And, and so when you're having a bad day, then you can reach out to Joe. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people are like, well, I can talk to my spouse or I can do, and you can, but but the thing is, is like our family and our and our really closest friends, like they're supposed to be that constant support person. And sometimes, and this sounds really maybe backhandish, but sometimes you don't need toxic positivity. Sometimes you need to be told, hey, you know what? You need to kind of like get it together, you know, do what needs to be done in, in advance. You know, like when, when somebody comes up and says, I've had friends come and say, oh, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm drinking a lot, but, but I don't have a problem. Well, no, you do obviously if you're if you're if you if you're saying this, you know. So then we get them in touch with somebody who you know helps them through that. But at the same time, 
you know, we don't want to be enablers. We don't want to be like, oh, you know, it's okay that you're drinking that much because you've got a lot of things going on, and we understand that. That's not what. That's, that's not what, toxic right. positivity. That's that where you're toxic positivity about. comes in. Yeah. But on the flip side of it, like when the guy that I farm with got diagnosed with cancer, I called my tug, which is Scott, and I literally sobbed through a two-hour conversation with him. And and he, you know, and 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 the thing that a tug does is they'll ask a couple of questions, like, "What do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to give you advice? Do you just need to vent? You know?" And sometimes that's all it is. Sometimes you're just on the receiving end of a conversation, and when they're done at the end of the conversation, they're like, "Okay, I'm good now. Have a good day. Thanks." Yeah. You know, and that's what we need. We need that outlet, and and instead of having drugs be an outlet, or instead of having alcohol being an outlet, or having anger being an outlet. Not that anger is bad, but if you use it wrong, you know that's not good. And and you know, I see people a lot of times. They'll be talking about you know somebody who's got depression and oh go out and walk it off get some fresh air that's not the kind of things that people that are suffering from depression want to hear well help people explain that because i think a lot of people do hear depression they think oh you just yeah you got to work out more you got to get a job you got to do x y or z what what is it like to have to be living with that depression so sadness to me is like you know, you, you see a sad movie or, you know, someone tells you that their their pet died and you, and you feel that sympathy and that empathy and that sadness for them. Depression, the way that I describe it is take the worst day you've ever had in your life. You know, loss of a grandfather, loss of your favorite pet, uh, loss of a, of a, a spouse. And then compound that a hundred times and then put some weights on your shoes and some weights on your shoulders and then jump into water and then just stand there. And look around for somebody to for somebody to help you and you don't see anything because you're in that murky water you don't you don't you get to that point where you just can't pull yourself out of it that's to me that's how i describe depression to people and and it's and it's real it's like things that that i, I get tired of seeing people just shrug aside are depression um anxiety and bipolarism i i'm bipolar i have bipolar too um and uh so i mean if i'm gonna do anything i'm gonna like take it to the extreme anyways but but you know when i when i tell people that i'm that i have anxiety one of the anxieties i actually have is is speaking in front of people oh really yep and that's, I have, that's it, crazy because right. i would i would yep. never suspect it because as soon as we pulled up in this driveway you were, so, you were you know and i tried to be funny which i think I no would. you were you were effective in that when when i'm super super anxious that's how i get rid of some of my anxiety and people know i mean uh, friends of mine will know if i'm like throwing out one-liners really really quick i'm i'm anxious about something or something you know my good friends that know me really really well mm-hmm. you know so that's how i i cope with it my little who's 14 uh, i'm constantly saying hi to strangers and stuff and she's like didn't you tell me you have like public anxiety and i'm like yeah and and she doesn't like being around people very she's a very talented singer very talented gymnast super sweet she's like well i get nervous like if i even think about talking to somebody i'm like just do it i said that's how you get that's how you get over it now now i can't get her to shut up now we're in the mall and she's like hey hi hey you know the other night there's some construction workers working on some stuff she rolled down her window after we had soft or softball practice and she's like hi have a good night i'm just like i thought you were shy you know so you know when people say or in the, in the last one that bugs me is that you know I'll see a friend on Facebook break up with his girlfriend and be like, oh, I had to get rid of her because she was bipolar. And those kind of those kind of things hurt. Like we use that or or dude, what are you crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't use that as a as a as a mechanism to describe somebody because those things are true. Like those things are things that some of us deal with on a daily basis. You know, and people will say to me after like my speeches and that kind of stuff, they'll say, you know, how did you how did you cure yourself from from all your all your mental health stuff? I'm like, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like you can control it. You can control it with medication. You can control it with, you know, certain exercises that you do inside your mind or inside your body or whatever and stuff. But there's no cure for it. Yeah. You know, but the other nice thing about it, Charlie, is that it's not contagious. 
Right. Like we fist bumped when you got here and you're not going to catch my bipolarism. You're not going to catch my depression. You're not going to catch my ADHD. You're not going to catch any of that stuff. You know, we don't have to wear a mask around each other to, to, to prevent yourself from, from catching mental health. And, and I feel like people think it's more contagious than, than COVID and the common flu. It comes down to sort of understanding that people are dealing with it, that it does never go away, that the best thing you can do is find a way to live with it. Is that an accurate thing? Like I've heard the uh, description of, you know, driving in a bus or driving almost the school bus in your mind that depression will always be in the bus but does it have to actually be driving the bus that's exactly that's a that's a great analogy and 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 people that suffer from and and fight mental health challenges and the depression and the anxiety and that stuff the biggest thing we're looking for our outlet is someone else we want someone to to that we can be able to talk to and not judge us and, and it's and it's funny because a lot of the speeches that i've given i'll have every time literally every time i'll have somebody come up to me afterwards and be how did you just come like right out and say that you have bi- that you're bipolar how did you just do that i'm like I don't care what people think anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I'm more concerned about people hearing my words and feeling like they can relate. I'm more concerned with saying that I'm bipolar and having Charlie sitting out in the audience and he's looking at his program and all of a sudden puts his head up and we make eye contact and we talk afterwards. And when Charlie leaves, I tell Charlie, you know what, Charlie, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You got, you know, the, you, everything, everything, you're going to have days, but everything's going to be okay. And Charlie's going to say back to me, you know what, you're going to be okay too. And now we've just broken that part of that barrier. You're a tug for each other. Exactly. Almost. Yeah, exactly. And it might, you know, tugs don't have to be long-term. Mm-hmm. A lot of tugs come in, they push the ship into port. They never push that same ship ever again. And I got to tell my little quick trip story. Um, a couple years ago, I was at Quick Trip, and you know how when you go into your local stores and stuff, what's the common thing you do? Hey, how's it going? How, how are you today? You know, oh, you look nice and stuff. And I said to this guy, I, said, I walked by, I'm like, how's it going today? And he goes, what do you care? And I stopped and I said, well, I asked you. He goes, do you really want to know? And I'm like, sure, I got time. He goes, honestly, it's kind of a crappy day. And I says, well, why is that? And he goes, why do you even care? You don't even know me. And I said, well, just tell me. I said, I'm, I, you know, it's we're here. Wisconsin. We're this here. We're Let's doing. do it, you know. And so anyways, he goes, well, honestly, he goes, I think my cat's dying. And I'm like, why do you think that? And he's like, well, she doesn't eat and she drinks a lot. And then she acts like she's trying to throw up and she can't throw up. And she's just sad and lethargic and stuff. And I'm like, I think your cat's got a hairball. And he's like, what are you, a veterinarian? And I'm like, no, but I've had a lot of cats. He says, and it sounds like like this is what you're describing to me. And um, he goes, well, what do I do about it? And I says, you can go to Walmart or Farm and Fleet or Walgreens and stuff. And they have this stuff called hairball remedy. You feed it to your cat. And he says, it cleans it up and she'll be fine. If that doesn't work after a couple days, I would call your vet. Parted ways. Never exchange names, nothing. Three, four, five weeks later, whatever, all of a sudden I'm getting ready to pay for my my, my breakfast at Quick Trip, and um, this hand slams down next to me on the on the counter, and I hear this voice behind me and says, I'm buying this man's breakfast this morning. He bought me a whole box of Glacier Donuts, by the oh, way, Charlie. Wow. He so, didn't even take one? <laughs> so I turn around, and, and here's Cat Guy, and that's all I still know him as. I've never gotten his name. I don't know him from Adam. Cat Guy is his name. And uh, he goes, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, I do. And he goes... Uh, can we speak outside? And I'm like, okay. So took care of the stuff, get outside. And he goes, well, you were right. My cat had a hairball. And I'm like, awesome. I said, this is great. You know, she doing, oh, she's doing great. Well, I'm like, well, that's great. I says, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I hope everything's going well. Have a nice day. He's like, no, 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 stop. You don't, you don't, you need to know something. And I go, what's that? He goes, so I moved here from the East coast. He says, I came to this area for a job that didn't exist when I got here. I have no family, no friends. I literally know nobody here 
my cat is the only thing that I have. And he says, and I told myself that morning, if my cat died, I was gonna die with my cat. And I think about that almost every day, Charlie, every day since that, I think about that. I think about the number of times that we have a, an opportunity to make an impact with somebody without even realizing that we're making an impact. You know, it's easy for us to have the simple conversations. It's easy for me to say, hey, Charlie, how is going? how's it going? But you know what the harder conversation is? The harder conversation is, hey, Charlie, are you okay? Mm. Charlie, you, you know, you don't, look this, you don't look as happy as usual. Like, are you thinking about harming yourself? Charlie, are you thinking about suicide? Those conversations are hard, and that's what we teach in QPR, but you know the hardest conversation to have is when you don't ask that simple question, we don't ask that, that simple hard question, and then you're in front of, a, of, of family members at a receiving line at a funeral mm. because you didn't take the time to, to, to reach out to somebody, you know, and those things, those are, the, those are the hard conversations. You know, a lot of us want to get involved after the fact, and he's like, what could we have done? I didn't see it coming. What could we have done different? have that conversation now well i think that especially with covid and all that sort of stuff going on right now that a lot of people could be in this headspace and how many times you know do you find yourself just going through like kind of obsessed about what's going on in your day that you don't even when you say hey how's it going you don't really mean hey how's it going what you mean is hey i gotta keep going you know yep. but what if you actually meant that and uh you know listen to people not just in what came out of their mouth but how they responded because you can tell a lot in like you know i'm fine mm. says <laughs> says says yeah. quite a bit actually yep. you yep. know uh so kind of it's just that follow-up question and you're right you never do know when someone's on you know their last day really and you could you could help that so it's it's great awareness to have and i also think something else you said is really uh from a while ago uh what you said about you would rather admit to uh, arson than you would to having depression and i think that is still persistent today and i think um from what i've heard it's still very persistent you know in the farming community too i mean so how do you how do you like break through that how do you let people know it's okay to uh, feel a certain way farming and men like for as far as tugs goes those are my two specialties mm -hmm. um you know i'm an emotional i'm an emotional guy like if, if something makes me sad in front of you i'm not going to be embarrassed to cry about it i'm really not and 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 i think you know the things that i do when i have those conversations you know i'll tell people i'm like if you need to let it out let it out like just do it just let it go and and if we can start if we can start taking the angst that people go through and we can recognize that and we can understand that we're all human and we can understand that we all have emotions and we can understand that, you know, every emotion that we have, whether you're, whether you're religious or not, you know, God or somebody gave us to have those things and not, and not be the guy that says, oh, dude, what are you crying about? You know, if you see, you know, if your best friend starts crying, you know, pat him on the shoulder and be like, hey, do you need, what, can I help you? Do you, do you, do you need a minute? And, 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 and make it common talk. I mean, God, Charlie, we talk about cancer. We talk about, we talk about COVID and masks like it's 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 nobody's business anymore. And we talk about the common cold, and we talk about flu, and we talk about pedophilia, and we talk about sexual assault. We talk about all these other things that are going on in the world. But the minute we bring up mental health, everybody shuts down. Well, and I think that's because a lot of people think, oh, it's in my head, it's not real. But I think that just negates all the studies that have been done and what's going on in your head is very real. And there's a scientific reason for what's going on. Whereas I think like a sexual assault or something is like that happened, it's verifiable, it's prosecutable, but a thought is not something that can really be defined or it's hard to define that. So I think, you know, bridging that gap and allowing people to say, no, this is real because I thought it and I should talk about it. Yep, and I think that actually honestly needs to start 
in the home and in the schools. You know, we can't, you know, we've, you know, recently had a, a couple of very young people under the age of 12 that died by suicide and, and people on Facebook and social media are like, oh my God, what could be so bad? And it's like, you know, when, when you and I went to school, well, I graduated in 88, I don't know when you graduated, but when I graduated from school, like if you had a beef at school, your beef was at school. And then when you got home, you got away from it. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you can, you can, you can Snapchat bully, you can, you can Facebook bully, you can Instagram bully and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's nonstop barrage of it, you know, and, and I had a, a mom the other day that said to me who was struggling, she's like, well, I got to be strong for my kids. No, you don't. You don't have to be strong for your kids. Sit your kids down and say, hey, mom's having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Because then when, as, as you explain to them what's going on, whether it's, whether it's a mental health diagnosis or whether it's just a bad day, now you've validated to them that it's okay for them to display their emotions in front of someone that they care about. Now you've made it so that as they get older, they're either going to be that person that's going to help somebody who's in a, in a situation that they're, they're sad or depressed about, or when they get into a relationship, they're going to be able to understand and have empathy. Or if they get into a, a, the, the workforce, they're going to be able to understand and have empathy. And we break that cycle. You know, because it's hard enough for those of us that suffer from depression and anxiety and ADHD and all the other diagnoses out there. It's hard enough for us to, 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 to solidify that and to, and to make that real in our own mind without having everybody telling us that, oh, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you grow up and that's instilled in you from an early age, it's just that much easier. And it has such a, a ripple effect through uh, the thing. I mean, just, you know, talking with me, talking to you. Uh, just in this conversation makes me way more open to it and then how many people will i talk to that will hopefully or i don't know even see this interview that could you know uh but it's these conversations that can kind of have that ripple effect and i think it's as you brought up so much more important now because you don't get away from the bullying it's all it's all on your phone and those are phones are wired to make us check them all the time mm -hmm. see how many likes we got mm -hmm. see how much whatever and all that's just crap and it's just uh it just makes the need for the these kinds of conversations all the more important well and right now with covid too you know we all got to wear masks and i said the other day on facebook and one of my one of my tugs posts i'm like you know, I'm an eye person. I've been reading people's eyes for years because mm -hmm. when you're when you're in sales and marketing, eyes tell you a lot. They'll tell you when somebody's ready to pull the trigger on its deal. They'll tell you when somebody is like not listening to you. The whole listen to me, Charlie. Pay attention. So <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. so anyways, uh, in in with masks for me, it's kind of it's kind of cool because like I can see people's smiles behind that. But the mm -hmm. thing is, masks hide smiles. Smiles hide depression. There are so many people out there that walk around with a smile that have so much stuff going on inside them, you know, and, 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 and everybody is fighting a battle that you don't know about, mm -hmm. you know, just because you're having a bad day doesn't mean you should take it out on somebody else or a complete stranger or, or, you know, right now, what's the big thing you go into a grocery store, I'm not wearing a mask or I am wearing a mask. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Who cares what your beliefs are? Mm -hmm. Be nice to each other for right. crying out loud. Right. The no, kindness I, virus has not died. <laughs> we can have a million thoughts about politics, about you know the mask or whatever you want to talk about. But if you're not kind to the person, what makes you think they're going to come over to believing the way you believe? If you're a jackass when you say it, nobody is going to. So is your real hope to make yourself feel better about whatever opinion you read on the internet or is your real hope to change someone's mind and that the only way that's going to happen is through kindness anyway yep. so and i think I every, that's lost every day i used to send out 10 random messages to people on text messaging and now i do it through snapchat and sometimes i'll even do like a little snapchat video and be like you yeah you yeah you just listening to this you're awesome you're amazing you have purpose thank you for being in my life i appreciate you and i sent so i started sending it on a snapchat and i started out 20 people a day 
the response rate, Charlie, was over 60% every single day. I needed to hear that. Mm -hmm. 60% of the people that I was sending out to randomly were telling me that they needed to hear that. Or the next response was, man, I know somebody who needs to hear that. Thank you for sending that. Or how did you know that I needed to hear that today? Now, now I've got people that want me to do it every day, so I'm up to like 145 subscribers or whatever. I'm gonna call them subscribers because that yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. Um, followers, whatever. And still my 20 random, and I'm still getting over a 60% response rate. So let's think about that. The thing is, so there's three of us here. If all three of us sent out 10 messages every single day, if my math is right, that's 30 people that we're gonna reach. Yeah. Randomly. That's 30 people that we have the possibility of changing their attitude about their day. That's 30 people that we have the opportunity to touch that may send that to someone else. So say they send it each to 10 people. 30 times 10 is what? Uh, 30 times, don't make me do math, 300. 300. Well, why would you make me do math like that on the spot? Add the zero to, I'm yeah, trying to make I, it simple. Well, okay, yeah. So, nah. so now, we've, now, we've, now three people have touched 300 people. What if those 300 people send it out to 10 people? That's 3,000. What if those 3,000 send it out to 10 people? That's 30,000. Thanks for doing the math on that, yeah. That quick, yeah. that quick. And people think that when I, when I tell them that in speeches and stuff like that, they say that just sounds simple. Because <laughs> it is. Right. It's, it's really simple. And, and, and I love it because the other thing is too is not only, not only if the three of us did that, not only do we affect 10 people, technically we affect 13 because I guarantee you the three of us are gonna feel good about sending it out. And even if we're not having the best day in the world, when someone sends back, hey, Charlie, thanks for sending me that. I really need to hear that today. Charlie goes, cool, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. And then Charlie goes, oh my God, I affected somebody's life today. I tell my, the kids I mentor, I tell my, my softball girls who are the ages 12 to 14, I tell a lot of people I come in contact with, I close almost every speech with it. You know what? If you wanna make a difference, be the difference. And the easiest way to make the difference and be the difference is just be kind. It's that simple. It really is. You know, obviously, uh, you've got all the politicians in the world kind of focused on Wisconsin because uh, it's an election year. What what could help out the farmers the most? I mean, I was talking to Pam. She was talking about, you know, tariffs and opening up the markets. Do you have any thoughts on that? From a political standpoint, <laughs> honestly, Charlie, I don't know. I This whole political arena has got me so confused right now that I, I you know, I kind of wish that the election was a year from now because it's going to take me that much longer to process everything by November. Mm -hmm. uh, tariffs are a big deal um you know there's a lot of animosity when covid first came out you know with you know don't do anything with china but well you know what us farmers depend on china mm -hmm. you know smithfield pork which you know employs over 100,000 people all of their pork comes from u.s farms and supplies china china feeds their people pork and soybeans that's their two biggest two biggest things and they don't have enough of it over there to, to to support themselves so we need we need to we need to improve our trade with with china um we need to uh farmers need to stay as efficient as they are i mean we it's kind of a shot in the foot for us but but we do need to stay as efficient as we are because it's a pride thing one we grow great crops we provide the safest most economical food of anywhere in the world i mean that's something i'm super proud of even if it doesn't pay the bills all the time um and the other thing from a from a smaller standpoint you know buy from your local farmer mm -hmm. you know if you can get a farmer who raises beef to to butcher a beef for you do it you know buy a little freezer or, or, or you know buy a quarter of a beef or whatever um and, and and support that part of it and the other thing that's going to help a lot of farmers for those of you that are listening that are not farmers man go to your neighbor who's a farmer 
thank them for what they're doing. Uh, last year, we or two years ago, we st I, I got people to start doing that, and next thing I know, I've got farmers calling me, and there's there's high school kids that are over weeding their gardens and, and mowing their lawn and doing all these things because they were so stressed out with everything else going on with the farm that the other things weren't getting done. And now all of a sudden, you've just you've sparked another revolution, so to speak. Like I said, Charlie, the political arena right now, our politicians need a tugs group i <laughs> I, I just thought I think of that true. I think no it's like it's like don't you just want you you hear whatever politician you hear him say something you're like what happened in your childhood what, where's that coming from right now because you're acting out right now but i mean honestly our politicians need to work together i yeah. mean this yeah, this yeah, two-party yeah. system is it's, is a joke it it's totally an absolute is. joke um you know it's just uh, a friend and i were talking a couple years ago about the political arena and i said you know it's like i said if farmers were politicians it'd be different like we'd pick i'd pick on you for having john deere and you'd pick on me for being for having case yeah. ih but when your john deere broke down you know darn good and well you wouldn't have to call me i'd be pulling in there and i'd be freaking helping you get your crops out and when you got your machine fixed you'd come over and get that's what we need to get back to in the political arena that's what we need to get back to in the united states as a whole quite honestly and 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 you'd see a huge difference in the way things that are th things are done a hundred percent i think when you're looking at the politicians and and if if their intent is to divide it's i, I we have a problem right here because yep. how are we ever going to go anywhere yep. from there yep. how can someone get involved with tugs well you can google search us we're on the we're on the World Wide Web now. We've got a website. Uh, we're also on Facebook. But if, to, to find us on Facebook, you actually have to put in talking. For some reason, if you put in tugs, it doesn't come up. Uh, but then it'll come up. Um, you can contact me. I mean, all my contact information's on there. And one of my goals, honestly, I would love to have like a tugs type organization in multiple communities, not just in Wisconsin, but around the United States. I would love to, and I, and I actually got some places, um, Michigan and a couple other places that I've, that I've done some speaking at that are actually starting their own kind of little type of community organization. And I don't care what you call it. You can call yeah. it whatever you want. It doesn't have to be tugs. I don't, I don't need that. That's not why I want to do it. But it's, it's a way to get, it's a way to get help without it being necessarily professional like it said you know yes there are people that need to talk to licensed therapists and there are people that need to have medication there's all people that need to take talk to uh, psychologists and psychologists and that's okay mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that yeah you know professional sports athletes still go and talk to somebody about how they can improve their game yeah. people that invest money still talk to people about how they can improve their investments and stuff like that so it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to ask for that kind of help but this is just you know with tugs it's and, and we do have professionals that work with us too but it's just an opportunity for average every day joes who don't have bs behind their name mom says i do but it doesn't stand for bachelor of science i don't know what that means but but anyways to, to have that opportunity to make a difference in someone's life without having to have four or five six seven years of school mm -hmm. you know and, and i would love to see that i mean it's basically and it builds your communities too i mean we're opening an office right now the community support that we're getting is unbelievable in the middle of a pandemic people are offering a lot of help financially physically you know that kind of stuff yeah you know it's, it's it's a great thing and i think that's you know you open up that conversation you get that conversation started boom you're on your way to you're on your way to to to, to no longer having that stigma about mental health that's awesome i love what you're doing this was a lot of fun and thanks for all of this enjoy I, green I county you. you're taking you're taking a little bit of green county with you <laughs> i appreciate you you're doing great work and thank you. Uh, i know a lot of people appreciate it too thank so you. thank you and that's my conversation with Jeff. Make sure you check out at Tugs Group on Facebook. You can reach out if you're looking for help yourself. Uh, you can also support them with a donation. They are a nonprofit or buy some of their merch. And after speaking with Jeff, we drove up to Watertown to talk with Patrick and Carrie Mess. How long has this dairy farm been in the family? Uh, well, the, this farm has been in 
purchased by mom and dad back in 71 when dad got back from Vietnam. Um, but dad uh, farmed with his parents a half mile up the road, um, dairied there. So right here in this neighborhood, we're, we're the third generation here. Our boys will be the fourth generation. And, and how does it uh, feel, especially bringing up kids with farming in uh, the state it, it has been in the past couple of years? We're tired. Yeah. <laughs> I think all parents are tired. Yeah. When, it, when, it, when it comes to farming with the boys in the last couple of years, farming with, with kids is scary at best. Parenting is scary. <laughs> but as far as yeah, the last couple of years, we've only been parents for five years. So it's just uh, uh, it feels like uh, the last couple of years, I don't know. It's it's been stressful, you know. The dairy climate has been a real roller coaster lately. So, you know, throw a couple of young kids in. Um, plus, my we my husband talked a little bit about you know the dangers of the farm. My mother-in-law lost her leg here on the farm five years ago in an accident, and oh. uh, while well, I was pregnant with our older son. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, she's all right. She's it's great weight loss. <laughs> So she's got a good sense of humor about it. We have to, right? Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise you cry. Yeah, 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 so yeah. She, um, but she does great. She's been back in uh, skid loader doing mixing and stuff again lately. We worked with Agribility of Wisconsin here, and they did some, uh, some helped us to kind of set things up so she can work again. And, um, you know, we had that going on. And then I mentioned my... Our younger son had some medical problems, so it's been a real stressful couple of years, and it's more than once at the end of the day we sit down with a beer and go, why are we doing this again? Mm. What do you come to as your reason for why you do it again? The girls, the kids. It's it's kind of part of you. I mean, you you may know I so many people, what they do is what they do for eight hours, and then they go home. Mm-hmm. For most people that farm, it's more of what you are rather than what you do uh you can't kind of get it out of your blood or get it out of your system it's just there Mm -hmm. so you just kind of even though there are other things you can do with your life you can't picture yourself doing anything else i've been watching her waiting for her to get you i I can feel (laughs) in the podcast are going to be so confused (laughs) as to like my terrible interviewing uh for everyone listening out there i've had uh Molly and Mouse and Skittles uh, breathing on me and trying to, uh, I don't think they're trying to eat me. They're just trying to, I'm a new smell they and just they're just trying to get it. So, with uh, your, with yeah. their tongue. I'm meeting Skittles. Skittles happens to be in heat. She's oh, looking for love. Skittles, you're, you're in heat right now, huh? I see you looking all lustful at me. Yeah? Yeah, okay. She's seen what I got going cooking. Okay. She saw your zucchini. Yeah, did you see that zucchini I brought over, Skittles, huh? Before we start talking about um, mating with Skittles, <laughs> uh, you were talking about how being a dairy farmer is just in you, and you kind of don't know what else you would do, or you could do something else but wouldn't feel right. Was that what you were saying? Yeah, um, that would be a good way of putting it. I mean, I worked, I left the farm, and I worked town jobs for, oh, uh, 20 some odd years uh, and came back to the farm because I wanted to do it. It, it, Even though I I left the job with full benefits in the 401k and the, and uh, health and dental and vision and 
Making like four times more yeah. an hour. Yeah, four times more an hour or money-wise uh, was great and uh, came back to the farm to farm for free or pay to work some months. Uh, so it's, it's a question of, yeah, I love doing it. It also tries to kill you on a daily basis from fatigue and, and tired. And it, you come out and some days you just, you're thrilled to be out here and you're thrilled to be with the girls and doing it. And other days you just, you do kind of want to just crawl back at home and just go, okay, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Is it the connection with the animals, as you say, do it for the girls? Or is it um, the idea that you're sort of, that you're feeding a, a country, basically, you're feeding a state, a community? Is Does that have less to do with it? Or is it more your connection with the animals? I think it has, I think it depends on the farmer. I think mm -hmm. uh, a farmer like my wife, she looks at it, and some farmers look at it more from the perspective of feeding people and providing food and being uh, having that as their their sustaining thing. Uh, and some farmers, like me, you know, may look at it more of it's just actually the physical act of farming and and caring for the girls and caring for the land, you know, feeding the girls that that is what sustains you because it's what you love. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in Madison. Mm. I had no connection to agriculture whatsoever. The closest I got to it was I grew up off of Rimrock Road, which is home of World Dairy Expo. Yep, yep. So October, I saw trailers go by. That was my connection to ag. So then what got you into it? Yeah, this guy. So where'd you meet? Uh, cruising the wash in Madison as teenagers. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, at, at the pool barn. Oh, but yeah. But he started dating a friend of mine, and I started dating a friend of his at the time, which was really awkward many years later when we got married <laughs> and we were making out the invite list. <laughs> yeah. Do we? No. Oh, the answer yeah, was okay. no. <laughs> no both ways. Yeah. Yeah. I had a job in sales and marketing, and then I we got married, and the hired hand here was leaving, and I thought I wanted to try farming so I went and asked my in-laws if I could come work for them and they didn't say yes so I quit my job <laughs> forced the issue and yep. worked out and what has been the most challenging thing of being a farmer for me um, when the farm doesn't stop like no matter what happens in your life mm -hmm. these girls need to be taken care of they need mm -hmm. to be fed they need to be milked they need to be taken care of so the day of the accident or mm. when I had um, my boys mm -hmm. still had to milk cows right yeah like he he stayed at the hospital the first night but then had to leave in the morning to make sure things were going here and um, you know that that's okay it just is a real big difference for me that that there's never a pause. Sure. Here. Now, do you have neighbors who come over and help oh, yeah. out? Is that uh, pretty typical of like, hey, we have this medical emergency. Can you take over the farm for a yeah. day? The or morning what kind of, of an the, ask is that? The morning of the accident, we had farmers in the driveway helping before the med flight even left. There is no ask. They you do. don't have to ask. They just show up. Uh, friends, friends and neighbors of ours, uh, a couple of miles as the crow flies, had a fire a couple of years ago. They didn't call to ask, and within an hour or two, there were 15, 20 trucks and trailers lined up to pick up their cows to take them to somewhere to get milked. They don't have to make a phone call. And that's a uh, reciprocal thing, too. When, when you hear someone, oh, yeah. something happens, you're there. You the, just go, the next and day, yep. even if you don't get asked, you just go and 
find out what can be done. How many casseroles do I have frozen in the freezer <laughs> right now for taking to a neighbor? Yeah, yeah, there's quite a few. There's, there's the two deer chest freezer full of uh, casseroles. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, in seemingly a society, uh, you know, as you look online or look at the state of our current politics, that really doesn't have that mentality of help others at all costs. What do you think normal people can kind of learn from, you know, far- the mentality of a farmer? Many hands make light work. Mm. Right? Like, if we work together, we can get through this heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. We can figure it out. We just all have to do our part. Mm-hmm. And stop and watch the cows chew their cud and take a breather and think about things before you just kind of go off half-cocked on a, someone. and <laughs> On a Twitter rant. <laughs> on a Twitter yeah. rant. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's okay to slow down mm. sometimes and just be okay with what you got well i think in sort of a society that's geared toward you know every time you pull up your phone it's meant to tell you that you don't have enough and that you should have other options you should have other things and so farming is in a sense saying be happy for what you have it could go away is is that a fair statement probably a fair statement i growing up in my family we we were very debt averse um (laughs) (laughs) squeeze a nickel that's that's a good euphemism (laughs) i I like that Yeah. Yeah, yeah um but we were always happy for what we had i know that growing up mom and dad when they had us uh when we were little kids they, I didn't know it, but we were on uh, food assistance. Mm. Food st- you know, it was they, the 80s. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they barely clung to the farm by their fingernails and survived. I didn't know it. I, didn't, I knew that I didn't have what a lot of kids at school had, but I never wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, we were always fed, and we always had the roof over our heads. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's our family, but uh, most farmers, I know they, they have what they have, and usually aren't aren't sitting there coveting what the neighbor has or what the other guy down the road has we're talking about it but we're not yeah, coveting yeah. It. Mm-hmm. Right, right. like did you see john drive by with that new tractor oh my god <laughs> now in the uh, scale of farming you you're on a smaller uh, dairy farm so yeah. what's the hardest thing about being a small dairy farm in wisconsin today uh, the, pro- the our biggest problem i think is is uh, between us is the idea of if we were larger we would be more managers and therefore we would have people that we could then take our weekends off Mm. or you know every six months or a year maybe go for a week's vacation and not have to freak out and worry as much because like you said she has a uh, she really wants to be able to put the farm on pause and it, it never does and being our size it's really hard to hire someone to take care of what we have for very short time frames to go away like that. Mm-hmm. And we have an excellent employee. He's been with us for three and a half years now. And, you know, he's he's great. But if one of us is gone, there still has to be other people here. So I think for me, the hardest part is as a mom trying to balance what the kids need. Um, 
and school and and we're really lucky that 4k he's in the afternoon class so we don't have to get him on the bus which would normally be in the middle of milking time but we, we're counting down days till kindergarten yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna have to figure some shit out because it's not working <laughs> uh from uh, from a business perspective how have the tariffs been and then covid on the industry not good not good at all i mean we haven't seen of course uh, administration would promise you know raises in prices after the trade wars went away well that hasn't happened mm. um there was just the detriment of uh countries overseas not buying our products and then our market is flooded and the price crashes because mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing being shipped overseas and with covid we were we were just waiting for the phone call that we'd have to dump milk you know mm. we didn't know who was going to have it what was happening you know nobody did because we've never gone through this before so we never got the phone call you know friends neighbors did and how does that work for people who are unfamiliar and why why would you have to dump for those who don't understand so, this process um we're a member of prairie farms co-op so if you go to woodman's our milk is there mm-hmm. um but each co-op kind of has where their milk goes, whether they have plants of their own or they sell it to like the craft plant that makes Philadelphia cream cheese. Each co-op has their own plants and customers. So and when everything- have, And they have specific equipment in those plants. Like one plant is made, set up and geared for producing fluid milk or cream cheese or cheddar or what have you. So when COVID hit, and all the restaurants closed and schools closed, all of a sudden you didn't have anyone buying five gallon pails of sour cream. And you also didn't have enough tubs to, small tubs to make one pound tubs to stock the grocery store. So we not only had grocery stores running out of product because we couldn't get enough plastic tubs, but also you couldn't go anywhere with the milk because mm. you couldn't, um, you couldn't just make all the five gallon tubs and fill up warehouses full of cold storage because you run out of room eventually. So right. so there was just nowhere to go with it. And it ended up a lot of farmers um, had to dump milk. So you're seeing there COVID hits and this is after two years of tariffs. And so then COVID hits and are you just like, uh, can we catch a break? On yeah, this? no, we can't. <laughs> Right before COVID hit, the prices had been climbing for about a two and a half month stretch. And we thought we were finally going to, we're always ever hopeful that you're going to see typical, it's a, a, a cyclical nature. You got, you know, a market high and you're real good for several months and then you'll dip for several months and you sort of plan your finances and try to, okay, well, weather the storm of losing money for several months. And then hopefully the next several months or year, we'll start gaining money to pay back our debts and then start working ahead um when COVID hit it hit after all the tariffs and everything and we've been you know breaking even or losing money for the last four or five years and it's like okay we're, we're just treading water we're not getting anywhere and right before COVID hit it was like we're on the upswing we've got hope we're we, we're gonna pay some debt off and maybe we can start we're, we're starting to look at each other going okay we can make some plans on a building that we need or you know a newer piece of equipment that we need and we're, we're just all getting kind of hopeful and then COVID hits and crashes the market from 20 what a hundred weight Maybe like 22 100 weight down to like 11 100 weight mm. it, it, so it just kills it and 100 yeah. weight is what we are 
count in milk. For some reason, they go by 100 pounds of milk instead of gallons because it makes no freaking sense. <laughs> Super confusing. You know, now is a time where you have all of the political landscape with their eyes on places like Wisconsin. What, what would you hope to see from whoever, you know, wins the presidency? What would you hope they bring to the dairy industry? You know, more. I'm more concerned right now about our country than our business. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I want our farm to survive, obviously, but I'm I'm more worried about somebody coming in that can unify us again. Mm-hmm. That's my priority, I, I guess. People before profit uh, mm-hmm. to a point. Uh, we're gonna get by. Mm-hmm. Things are probably gonna, you know, get more difficult for us depending on on who's elected, but we'll figure it out. I'm more worried about our country as a whole and how we're going to move forward. I want someone who can help to unify us again. I think we see that in politics that's become popular is divide and conquer almost. And do you feel that impact being in rural America? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you drive down the road and you see the signs out and, Mm. you know, you have one neighbor one day puts a sign out and then the next day the neighbor across the road's got four of them for the other guy, Uh, (laughs) you know, and, and you just know that there's that friction there between neighbors and mm. it's, are they still it's friends bad. i mean if they were friends before are they friends now or do, has politics really because i feel like we, we social media especially has yeah. found a way to to almost break up those bonds that we once had and now we see someone post something on social media or they go too far down a rabbit hole and people are like yeah. never again i don't know you know i've unfriended some people and it's not necessarily that i you know i didn't think that i just saw a side of them i guess i I didn't know they had, and mm. I wasn't real appreciative of it. I think this country is seeing a side of itself we didn't know we had, and I think it's yeah. I think it's perpetuated by things like social media and. I blame the Kardashians, really. I, I, I it's probably a lot of truth in yeah. all that, yeah. you know. Uh, well, what what do you think um, rural America can do outside of politics to kind of come together and unite again? Maybe take the Facebook app off your phone. Just get rid of Facebook. I I mean, yeah. go check it out. I say this as someone who does all this social media, and I'm I, talking to someone who does social I media. Do I, and, and there's I hate so it. much good. It. There yeah. can be so much good, but mm-hmm. I took it. I just took the app off my phone for a couple of weeks, and it mm-hmm. it helped. It's off my phone too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I need to check it, I I can go to the mobile yeah. browser and. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Facebook is doing a lot of detriment. A lot of the social media, and I say that as someone who needs people on Facebook to watch videos, (laughs) but I still, you know, at the end of the day, it's not doing us any good. So I take less views and uh, people, you know, at least liking each other again, you know. Yeah, that's your business, right? Like you're willing to sacrifice a piece of your business if we can go back to being tolerable towards each other well yeah and i guess i'm in the same same boat right, like i right. mean i want this farm to be able to be passed on to our boys if that's what they want mm-hmm. in the future but um you know we got to figure out how to move forward here mm-hmm. um in a way that is not how it's been mm. so i just hope people take time to take care of themselves and mm. it, it's really tiring out mm-hmm. there right now it is. What would you say to someone who is thinking of entering the dairy industry? What, what advice would you have for them? Um, it's a tough thing, but if this is your passion, do it. Mm-hmm. Find someone you can work with. Get all deals in writing. <laughs> <laughs> and learn as much as you can from as many different dairy farms as you can. I think one of the biggest problems in our industry is that people are really stuck to, we've always done it this way. Mm. I'm really fortunate, you know, again, I didn't grow up on a farm, but coming into this family, 
where they've never been too hung up on doing things the way grandpa did. Mm -hmm. They've always been quick to embrace change. And um, that's been good for me because I've been able to, to see lots of different ways of doing things and I've worked on other farms and and that's been good for me for learning but if you're you're young and you want to get into dairy farming um, work on a lot of different farms see them all and, and and learn from everyone everyone out there you can learn something from it might be what not to do but you can learn something from them awesome well that is uh, great advice and uh, I really appreciate you mm-hmm. sitting down can you tell everybody where they can find you uh stay up to date with everything you're doing so on the evil facebook i'm dairy carrie there i'm dairy carrie on instagram which i do like a lot i like Mm -hmm. instagram i like pretty pictures yeah um (laughs) my blog's dairycarrie.com pretty much anything dairy carrie Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and best of luck with everything going thanks, forward. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. Now, while we were over at the messes, uh, the Detmans were actually over there. Uh, they were helping, um, you know, which is pretty typical of farmers, it seems. Always, always helping each other out and whatnot, you know. So we decided to head down the street after talking with uh, Patrick and Carrie to talk to the Detmans over at Detman Dairy Farms. And uh, here is that conversation. So how long uh, have have you been farmers? Let's start there. Uh, I've been farming all my life. I, I'll be 45 this year, I guess, so you can count it. But one of my first jobs was helping roll hay bales off the hay wagons when we were making hay in the summertime. And How old were you? Uh, probably six, seven, something like that. It's like go up and get the higher bales off the wagon, roll them down to the guy putting them on the elevator. So um, started there, started helping my dad feed calves after that. And when I could reliably operate a tractor, I was out in the field raking hay. And so I was, uh, been doing that and went off to school, uh, was at UW-Madison where I met my wife and mm-hmm. came home after that and kind of took over managing the dairy herd. and. Here we are. Now I'm co-owner with my dad. So. Now, and it's the same farm you've worked on, the same farm your entire yeah, life. Yeah, the, the expansion on the dairy took place in 1997. So we, before that, we were about 130 cows milking, and now we're over 500. So, Wow. So what's it like going from uh, a smaller dairy uh, operation to a bigger dairy operation? A lot more, a lot more business related now uh, than we used to be. You, you know, it used to be go out, do the chores, get the cows milked, come back in, and you're done for the day. Uh, now we've got a lot more business presence on the farm, and obviously a lot more employees. So employee management became a big part of it, and even the cow management. Um, we got the cows on a computer now, um, so it's more of knowing everybody by name it's everybody's got a number and keep track of them and it goes back to the business model to try and keep everything efficient and profitable and it seems to be the words that are thrown around a lot right. more lately. <laughs> yeah you're, you're kind of like the artist who doesn't want to talk about the business in some respects <laughs> you know i i enjoy farming and it's yeah. kind of you know i like working with the cattle i like turning dirt and running tractors and and the business side of it is kind of I know how to do it and we do it and keep track of things it's but that's not the enjoyable part of farming so. sure sure <laughs> and then when did you meet you met in college, in college. you said mm-hmm. so what which college we went to uw madison where are you from originally i'm from endeavor wisconsin okay which is north of portage i grew up on a beef and sheep farm oh okay and hay so mm-hmm. a lot of my little kid memories are with hay as well 
Yeah. Was that your first chore was the Yeah, dealing hay? with hay, yeah. eating sheep hay. I'd be like a six-year-old driving a tractor in a circle in the field so that someone could dump hay off and then stop, and then they would take over again. <laughs> now, Madison has a great egg program. Is that what both of you went there for? Yeah, I was um, animal science degree, and he has dairy science. So Okay. And agronomy. <laughs> nice. Get that in there. Don't let anyone forget. I was a geography major, too. I make sure everybody knows that, you know. You're doing well with it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I pre Did you hear that, Dad? Uh, you know? Jeez. Um, so, what, uh, you know, dairy, obviously, and being a farmer is you, you go into it knowing you're going to have ups and downs. What's it been like the past few years where I think everybody I've talked to, you know, it's been on notable downward uh, streak? It, it's been a rough four years. We had our longest stretch of low, lower prices, and so it was challenging. We had to, you know, kind of cut where we could. Um, we operated, I try not to sacrifice something for the future just to gain on the short term so we're um other farms may have cut cut things out that, that possibly would have made it harder for them to come out of good or bad we chose to eat into our equity a little bit um we were uh, financing the farm to a point i mean we didn't get ourselves in too big of a hole but we wanted to maintain herd health we wanted to maintain our operation and not try to cut ourselves too short um so it was you know, find, try and find cheaper feed ingredients. Um, uh, we did, uh, you know, we kind of tighten the budget on employees. So we're running a kind of a, I don't want to call it a skeleton crew, but um, enough guys here to keep things running, but uh, also don't have guys sitting on their hands either. But, sure. uh, um, uh, and then from there, if, you know, if there was money to be saved, whether it's working with a, a vet company or supplier um, that might, be able to save us some dollars or on uh, we did make a change in our, our feeding program on the farm which has worked out really well for us the cows are actually performing better and and doing it at a lower cost so that was a huge boost for us um, yeah what is the hardest thing about um you know we hear about the tariffs in the news the tariffs in the news what's the hardest thing about the tariffs that people don't understand when those words just kind of become white noise and people don't see it on a real level <laughs> yeah i guess for me it's and I know agriculture isn't the only industry, but we take, you know, this gets tossed around in, in Washington a lot. And then we, it feels like we're paying the bill for it. And, mm. and it's, um, it, it has been hard to swallow, but we, I kind of recognize there, there's some things that need to be done. Um, and, you know, things that I might not have all the information about. Um, so if we can, if we can work on a true fair trade deal around the world, that's going to, work for us in the long run you know i'll you know we'll sit here and and take it but it has been i mean that did mean uh, a pretty significant drop in prices for us um losing some market share around the world like that um fortunately we had uh, did have some uh, government assistance to help get through it so that was very much appreciated but it is it it, it feels like we're we're picking up the dinner check for something we were sitting at the table for, I guess uh, is yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of how it feels for farmers anyway, even though it's we- kind of like when someone's like, no, I'll get the bill, I'll get the bill. Where they do the alligator arms, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we all know that guy when you go up for dinner. I think so. so. Do you have hope that uh, they will eventually work or are you concerned uh, in the long term? You know, if 
attending the meetings we've been to over the last several years as a dairy industry, uh, we're, we have a, a positive outlook on, on world trade. Uh, there, you know, we look at populations in China and India, that's a lot of people that need to eat. And we're in, we're in an industry that provides food. Everybody has to eat every day. It's not an industry that's gonna go away. So we're, we would like to open those doors and make sure that we can provide food with, safely and economically around the world. So yeah, we, we have a positive outlook long-term uh, and, and that's kind of been good or, good or bad. I don't know if the, the reason is just to keep our spirits up or not, but <laughs> that's, been, that's been the message when we, when we sit in on some of these meetings of the, the economic outlook in 10, 20, 50 years, it's, there, there's a growing population that's gonna need to be fed. And so we're willing to take that challenge on, I guess. Uh, we spoke with uh, a couple people today who have talked about uh, sort of the mental challenges of being a dairy farmer and, um, you know, suicide rates have gone up and everything. Do you have any sort of advice for maybe fellow farmers who are dealing with something like that? Or, you know, do you have any, um, I, I guess, words of wisdom being in the industry with it? We're in this together, I guess, is a big thing. Uh, I've developed uh, several uh, nice relationships with area farmers. We can bounce ideas off each other, um, even if it's going out and grabbing a beer together or something like that. If you've been in this industry long enough, you know there's ups and downs, like you said earlier. And and this has been a little bit of a longer downswing for us, but we milk prices are decent now again, um, even going through this whole COVID process. Um, so we're, uh, you know, we're working our way through it. I, I think it's, yeah, I guess words of it, I try to stay positive. I, you know, over the years we work with mother nature through things, you know, you get a, you get a flood, you get a drought, early frost. I mean, that all gets thrown at you and, and you take it in stride, you know, there's not much you can do about it. And this is kind of more of the same. It's a different source of, of a similar problem. And, you know, we just keep plugging away. I guess it's, it'll get better. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's also important to talk to our non-farming friends about what we're going through because so many of them feel like they want to support us mm. and they don't really know how and they don't really know what we're going through. And so speaking to them about like everyday stuff here really helps them understand our life yeah, more what, too. Yeah, what can they know? What, what's something they don't know that you're always oh surprised by? Not to throw any of your friends <laughs> under the bus or anything, they'll still come to, I'm just saying, what's the thing, I, I guess, normal folks who don't farm, what, what's something they don't often think I of? just, one thing they might not get sometimes is just how busy you are in a day and how full your day is already and you're trying really hard to maintain relationships with non-farming friends mm. and we do it in ways that are a little different probably than people who are have more free time yeah so that's one thing well how do you do it uh, what's a good way like come on over and, and help uh, move this or yeah. that come hang out with me and yeah. we can do stuff together yeah 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 well so I'm many sorry. people don't have the uh, opportunity to like get outside in that way and I feel with COVID too you know there's mm -hmm. never been a better time to convince a friend to come on over and help you move hay or something so uh, <laughs> you know uh, folks uh, there you you got your invite okay come on over fire up the grill we'll throw some burgers and brats on the grill and mm -hmm. and uh, grab a beer whatever it might be but uh, yeah just we, you know, we, we don't necessarily work a, a nine to five or whatever job. And uh, so it's work around the schedule a little bit. So mm -hmm. get together when you can, maybe go out and, 
it, now that restaurants are open again, go out and grab a bite to eat, or mm-hmm. or just come out and we'll we'll sit in the backyard and <laughs> and shoot the breeze for a while. So you know whatever whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are the challenges of being married and running a farm together? I was lucky enough to find a farm girl, so it it made it a lot easier. I to suppose work. that makes it a lot. There, there's so much you don't need to <laughs> there, there's explain. There's a level of understanding there that she came into it with. So it was. Although I have to say, my mother-in-law did advise her not to marry a dairy farmer. So it was, <laughs> we, we were fighting an uphill battle to begin. With. <laughs> Why a dairy farmer? What, what kind of farmer did she want you to marry? She had married a dairy farmer. Oh. <laughs> Who then changed to be a beef and sheep farmer. I don't know. It was just something funny that she said a lot. Gotcha. <laughs> just because he had been from a smaller farm that was a lot more uh, labor intensive constantly. We have some employees, so we are able to take vacations here and there. So, Sure. The biggest challenge as a dairy farm is, you know, we're working not only by Mother Nature's clock, but these cows, they don't shut down right. for for Christmas Day or whatever it might be and and so we we have to make time where we can and like with the expansion with the size we're at and having the employees that we do that makes it a lot easier to get away for a weekend or or even a week of vacation now where we couldn't do that years ago and so that's been nice but but we still have to work around the farm schedule sometimes when we don't want to. And well, that's so something I think a lot of people take for granted because it's it's kind of like, and by kind of like, I mean nothing at all like having a dog, <laughs> but then having 30 dogs, you know, and who's going to feed them, you know, who's going to who's gonna wake up at 5 a.m., who's uh-huh. going to, you know, and a dog just goes outside and... and crabs and eats for the most part and barks you know cows you, you need to they do that too but right it, you know it's minus the barking but then you gotta you have to milk them and all that sort of stuff Let, let's say you did need to go and you didn't have employees or before you kind of expand got the employees would you rely on your neighbors quite a bit i've filled in for neighbors when i was younger where mm-hmm. we they were taking trying to get away even if it was a weekend or something like that where we've gone and helped them with chores and and yeah it was uh, kind of share the load around if the neighbors and friends would would come in and i've when i after i was born um around the time i was born my dad was adding cows at the time so we could afford to bring a full-time person on board on the farm and then we could afford to get away it was yeah, prior to that, is you, you know, if you wanted to get away, it was it was a day trip. You know, mm-hmm. it was that was about it, and that's all you could do. And maybe a rainy day or something, you run to the movie theater or <laughs> whatever it might be. But yeah, when we we added some cows, we were milking at that time would have been you know about seventy to eighty cows, and we could afford to have a full time person involved in the farm, so we had somebody to help with the harvest and planting. But then somebody could milk cows, and we could get away for more than more than a few hours so it was yeah now now we have more employees i can i can get away and do an interview or yeah <laughs> yeah which i appreciate be. by the way thank you i know you're no very problem. busy so no, i will no keep it quick too <laughs> you're um, doing fine what's the biggest challenge you think the dairy industry might face in the, in the upcoming years you know continuing to grow our market whether it's diversifying products i mean there, there's several several challenges ahead of us i guess so make sure we still have the market share that we do that that might be new products on market that might be um, consumer education with what we're doing um that's i mean that's kind of a problem in itself we we're you know unfortunately the industry has had some bad press in recent years and and it's frustrating to me knowing and not only me but uh my friends and and 
fellow farmers out there that we, you know, work on a daily basis to take care of our land, take care of our animals, and that's been called into question in recent years, and so that's a little frustrating. I'd, I'd much rather have people come out to the farm and ask me a question on how we do things than go online and start spouting misinformation, which might not... What's you know, the biggest one? True. What's the most annoying one or the one that really gets to you? Probably animal treatment as a dairy mm -hmm. farmer. Um, yeah. I have no problem with anybody leading, leading a, a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle. Um, but when they try and force that on other people, that, that's what bothers me. And then to try and back that up by saying we're mistreating our animals, so that's why you shouldn't eat dairy or why you shouldn't eat meat, I, I take that personally. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we strive every day to make sure our cows are happy and comfortable because not only is that better for them, it's also better for us. I mean, the, those cows are going to be more productive. And the better we care for our animals and the better we care for our land, the better it is for us. We're gonna have better crops, better milk production, everything. It's just, if you're gonna go out and mistreat your land, mistreat your animals, it's it's not gonna work for you. And so that that, that kind of hits me pretty personally. And, and we have pets around the farm that we play with on a daily basis. We got the cows into a routine, so everything is as stress-free as we can for them. We go to great lengths to provide comfort, whether it's in bedding or ventilation proper medical care, whatever they need, we, we go to great lengths to provide that for them. And, and, so, and so it's been, unfortunately, you know, kind of debated over recent years. I'm sure that you've got, you know, a lot of the talk about uh, climate change or water quality. Are there mm -hmm. misconceptions you think people are seeing with those two topics? Um, Yes and no. Uh, as a larger farm nowadays, we all get lumped together. And then mm. if one farm has an issue, that means all farms have that issue. Mm. And that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of rough. And, and unfortunately, accidents do happen. But I don't know anybody in my circle of friends or relationships that would knowingly go out and pollute groundwater, pollute surface water, things like that. We're learning as we go. And so if there's a, if there's a new technology out there that we can adopt to keep things safer in our environment, we're, we're going to do it. Yeah. And so it's, we follow a nutrient management plan to make sure we're not over applying anywhere to make sure we we're applying in a timely manner, make sure we're growing crops that are going to use those nutrients and things like that. So we're, um, you know, we do everything we can to, and, and that helps us in the long run too. We're making sure all those nutrients get to where they need to be and, and, and where they need to be on time where the crops can use them. And we don't, I certainly don't want to be applying manure anywhere out there that's going to get wasted. Right, I, and right. That's and that's of no benefit to me and, and, and hurts the environment I'm trying to rely on for my well-being. Do you see so. places that the industry you wish uh, the industry would grow in or make it easier on you to comply with certain things? Or is there anything where you're like... I could really use some help figuring this aspect out. Manure management would probably be one. Uh, there's there's technologies out there that would, um, you can process the manure we produce on a dairy farm and, and reduce the overall volume, whether it's separation for one, you know, we, we use sand as bedding for our cows for the comfort and cleanliness it provides. Um, we have don't have anything in place right now that would collect or harvest that sand from the manure stream and even though there is technology available um, you can dewater your manure a little to a point where you're reusing that product either as 
fertilizer or bedding or something like that and and so then you're reducing the amount of manure that's leaving the farm you know it allows you to like i say stick to the calendar apply when when timing is right when weather is good things like that um but that technology is expensive and so if as the industry if that could you know there is cost share to a point out there but if we could make that technology affordable um yeah, I mean, that'd be one big area right now. Would a state tax break or a federal tax break help, or do those exist for it, or is it, it, is it hoping the technology gets cheaper on its own? Probably a little of both. There, um, obviously, as a business expense, we can write some of those purchases off, so that does help. The affordability, I mean, there, you're talking about economics of scale there. You, right. These companies can't be asked to produce a $100,000 piece of machinery for $50,000 if they're not selling that much volume, you know, so yeah. it's... Well, that's interesting what you're saying, because, you know, as the price comes down, the more volume will go up, so it's just trying to find that way to get the snowball effect going right. with the technology. Right. Um, that's really interesting, though, because I think when people, like, go after the dairy industry, it, there's a lot of just attacking to attack, not attacking to say, okay, what are the problems? How can we improve on these? Mm. And I think if more... Very good point. People did that, we we'd all be in a better you know place with it so because everyone likes cheese (laughs) i sure do (laughs) and ice cream (laughs) uh i know i know you're uh busy so i'm i'm going to let you go uh what would you say to uh you know a a young couple or a young person coming up who's like i want to go into dairy what advice would you have for them as neither one of you wants to take the microphone. <laughs> Perfect, folks. Forget about it. Okay, go be a doctor. Too much. You know, <laughs> it is a hard industry to get into because of the cost to get started. So mm-hmm. the I would say, from somebody who's in the industry, if if you're starting from scratch, I would say the easiest way to get into it would be to get out on a farm uh, that has a potential for future and whether that be partnership or just a long-term position, you know, obviously there are couples, uh, individuals or couples out there that want to hopefully get their own name on a farm at some point. And, and it's hard to do. I don't want to say it's impossible. It certainly isn't. Um, but if you don't have, you need a way to get your foot in the door and get started. And that that's sometimes cost prohibitive, you know, to try and find the land, the buildings, um, the animals, um, but it's going to be a rough start if you're willing to go through that those early years where it's going to be kind of hand to mouth for a while. It certainly can be done. We've we've lost far too many farms in the state, and so there are there are farms sitting empty right now. So that there's opportunity there. Um, so whether you want to go out and take over one of these farms that's that's calling it quits, or uh, or get involved in an organization in a larger farm, or medium-sized larger farm that would that has a that potential to to join that that system that might be the way to go mm-hmm. and and let's say you someone has a lot of money would it be something where somebody could buy those or an organization could buy them and then rent them out would that be frowned upon or would that be like oh yes they're helping preserve this culture or would you more so want someone who's going to buy it who's going to farm it what would be the most helpful thing there i, I think you hit kind of the the two schools of thought there there is that you know ah, that's just an investment dairy that's not a family farm type thing and Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a stigma there i guess but um it's certainly an idea i i don't see why that couldn't work i mean in in a time where we're dealing with these economic difficulties uh, i mean and it's not necessarily all economics it could just be an aging farmer that doesn't have family or friend to pass that that farm on to 
Um, it certainly isn't all small farms going bankrupt. I don't want to paint that picture by any means, but um, but yeah, that there's no reason that couldn't work. Where where somebody, if this wants to invest in an industry. I don't see why that's not a way to make it work and have somebody come in and manage that operation for them. That certainly seems feasible to me. So. Cool. Yeah, and I didn't mean to say like all small farms are going out of business. No, I no. just feel like um, I feel like I've read that some are, and either way, you're right. They could just be um, uh, dying out of the job, basically. But there's opportunity there for some some mm-hmm. people, I suppose. I could keep talking and give you a long Midwest goodbye, but uh, <laughs> you know, we'll skip that for now. Thank you very All right. much. All right, and that's it for this week's Cast. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Also, if you are uh, buying dairy, make sure you support your local farmers. That helps out more than you think. And uh, if you want to support the Cast, you know, go ahead and, and rate this deal. You know, leave a comment, do what you got to do. Okay, folks, appreciate the heck out of you. Hope everyone has a good week. Um, make sure you watch out for deer and, you know, tell your folks I says hi. Okay, real good. Bye-bye. So roll out the barrel and get the band brewing. Life's got you down. Just keep her moving. It's on Wisconsin. The Badgers say it's the old Wisconsin Jubilee. You know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot in the walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle and you think you're done. No, you got to keep her moving.